Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. Take no more of your time. I want to give you plenty of time. Come on, help me love Pastor Steve Kenny Brew today. He's been called to the mission field of Inkster. And uh, come on, yeah, show some love today. Show some love today. Amen. Yeah. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. God bless you, family. God bless you. Thank you very, very much. All those praise and claps goes to Jesus. His... He's the reason why I'm here. Just to think, over on Savage Road, one day we were having a guest speaker, and I was sitting over in the corner. I shared this with Pastor a couple of weeks ago, and I had a checklist going in my mind of why I'm not going to be a preacher, and I'm through with it. Check, 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 check. I don't even like myself. You sinner, you loser. Check, 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 check. And I kind of, in my heart, did like this. I'm through. I didn't tell my wife, didn't tell Pastor. Then uh, a brother out of our fellowship walked to me, Brother Mark, and he started ministering. One hour before he st- <clears throat> before he started telling me when I was called, what I'm going to do, what God is expecting. And I'm thinking, did he know an hour ago I put ministry aside? I don't even like myself. So then another uh, a pastor took the men to a kind of a men's spiritual awakening type of place out in the boondock somewhere so I said okay I have to be a preacher and uh, when me and Rhoda got married we were praying and Rhoda got a word uh, how he's called us to do a mighty work it's got to be weeks after we got married and I remember it because I got ticked off that I'm running this prayer meeting and God tells her that's why I never forgot it she wrote it down, gave it to the pastor, and he, uh, you know, looked at it and kind of affirming our call. And I thought, man, as a pastor was taking it, so I guess that mighty work, I'll just be a minister somewhere doing something, but that mighty work is gone. And again, you loser, you loser, you loser, you sinner, you loser, you lost it, you messed up. Then at the spiritual awakening, this brother was preaching, then a gift of prophecy came right in the midst of his preaching saying exactly what I've been thinking for like a good week. I'm thinking, woe be unto me if I don't preach the gospel now. So I don't know what you think about me. If you know me, I see you got a new hundred chairs. A lot of you probably don't even know me, but I know one thing. I have to preach. Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. I wouldn't want to look into those eyes of love and says, supernaturally twice I let you see that I wanted you to go and proclaim me and why didn't you do it? I don't want to hear that. So that's what opened up Inkster to me. In my heart, it's always been Inkster. Even my son Timmy told me, Dad, you were talking about Inkster a long time ago, and I didn't remember that. But it was that thing that gnaws inside of your heart that you can't, can't get away from. It just hangs there. That's when you know you're getting called for something. Sometimes, you know, I've heard of some dramatic calls where they see visions. I didn't see a vision. But a gnawing feeling on the inside, I have to do this. I have to go there. So that's why I'm here. God bless you all. I just wanted to put first things first. I want to give honor for my wife. Thank you, honey. She works harder 
lovely wife, harder, sometimes can't even get out of bed, doing something to try to help this call. Also, my son, I want to thank him for doing uh, work on the internet for me. Thank you, son. Thank you very much. The shepherds of his house, I want to give you glory, thank you, and honor. Thank you for uh, always being that voice that I can uh, bounce an idea off of. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm going to go down the list right quick. I hope you don't, I don't want to uh, upset you, but I need to do this. Thank you, Brother Rob, for always sending us uh, uh, information on buildings over in Inkster. Thank you for working with us. Thank you, Brother. I'm not going to say your name for that big, fat $3,000 check that came and made me say, God, is I guess serious about this. Thank you, Brother. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your gifts that um, you all gave us. Thank you, Ennis. Misty, thank you for your gift. And I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody else, but thank you all for everything that you've done for us that's kind of pushed us, even in our um, going forward, not really knowing what to do. Oh, oh, yeah, thank you, Pastor Steve, for going with me and helping me get that big sound system. I had that thing cranked up on one outreach. It was booming. It was booming. My mother-in-law said, tell him to turn it down. <laughs> and thank you, sis, brother... Uh, Sister Lindsay, for that wonderful, wonderful uh, care basket at the onset of my wife's uh, illness. God bless you. I appreciate it. Hallelujah. Well, like I said, uh, you all laid hands on us, and off the Inkster we went. The first thing I did was be jumping to the streets the very next week and start um, letting people know I'm in Inkster. I'm trying to witness to them. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm Pastor Stephen. Uh, we also uh, participated in a... Um, Trunk or treat. We had our little Jesus loves you bags of tracks and candy. Made a really good contact there. Uh, this lady, she was, uh, she has very many ministries. She's not saved though. And one of them was wine tasters. <laughs> so I'm thinking, they're going to think I backslid. They're going to see me over here with these people. And it was all in me to just stop from walking off from the wine tasters. They weren't, do, they weren't drinking, but I that Christian thing in me, stay away from the people that drink wine. And then so uh, we, we've given out Thanksgiving baskets. We've given out um, so much. We try to Easter uh, outreach. Your offerings have, and our tithes have bought a van, rental space at Daly Elementary, shelter space at Inkster Park, course insurance that sound system we got these sweet i don't know if there's a picture of that stuff uh, that i sent if we were able to get that on the slides but chairs these little plush chairs about a hundred of them we got a generator to preach in the park projector it's paid for turkey baskets launch training games everything thank you thank you very much thank you very much and like i said we preached at the park that was a fantastic time uh, we also just recently started the King's Kids Boys and Girls Club. King's Kid Boys and Girls Club, that's at uh, Daly Elementary School. Uh, that's even if the church doesn't take off, if it doesn't, this is something that I see as, because as I roamed around at Inkster witnessing, there's just packs of kids everywhere with nothing to do. Just packs of them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had one, and out of 12 kids, only four of them have heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God gave me an evangelist brother to work with me. He rushed over to me one time and said, Steve, you're never going to believe this. This kid's never even seen a Bible. 
he asked me, can he touch the Bible? So we started giving out Bibles. So your money have, has uh, bought Bibles. So we gave some Bibles and we gave some candy. Uh, at the turkey giveaway, the young man took the turkey basket in and he came out reading the business card that I gave, which says, for this purpose, the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So when he got down to devil, he couldn't sound that word out. So I said, that word says devil. And he said, oh yeah, he's down there. And he started pointing at the ground. I said, no, the devil's not down there. He's up there with us. He said, he is? And that was in a project. So I thought, you know what? That's the first reception of the word of God and sincerity. I, let's, let's just work down at the projects. So that's where we're going. It looks like, because I've talked to the manager of the complex, that uh, she's going to let me every Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 have a Bible study. We'll sing a couple songs right in the projects. Uh, my vision is to establish that uh, youth outreach for King's Kids, start a healthy church. My further reaching goal is to have a young men's mentor program. I believe if I can get a handful of Christian men that can give their testimony, maybe even pass off a skill and spend four or five hours with a kid, a young man, it can drastically touch inkster that's my goal and of course a christian school uh, my kids went to e-course baptist they had the ace program this is something that's not so far-fetched i believe something like that rhoda said something profound not too long ago she says you know what if a church can i think every church should have a school to impact its community and i hadn't really even thought about the school aspect of ministry that's something I'd like to do. So our launch date is September 24. That'll be at Daily Elementary School. Also, we have a QR code that if you wanted to give, continue to give. Go to the website, which will be inkstradelivercenter.net. I uh, also start a YouTube channel. You can find information there or just get uh, click on that code. That will give you the prompts. So I think I've gotten everything covered. Everybody stand up for the reading of the word. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Turn your Bibles to Revelations 2, 12 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which, he which has the sharp two-edged sword. In Pergamos... They had capital punishment, and when the emperor would hold the sword straight up, that meant he lived. If he hold it down, that means he's, he dies. And I think Jesus is saying that to us and to the church. He says, I got a sword also. It's got two edges. If you repent, that sword will be a sword that repairs and, and helps your life, even make you born again. But if you resist my sword, I'll come and give you the judgments that's associated with disobeying so that was i believe jesus way of said i've got a sword and i'm a king too and that's in a sense what he said to all these churches i'm the one that's got two edges coming out of my mouth if you repent and listen to my words it will be a repairing like a, a, a scalpel in the hands of a great physician that will repair your life but if you resist my word it will be that word and the associated destruction that happens I got a sword too, is what he said. I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is, and how you hold fast my name and has not denied my faith. 
even in those days when Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. But I have few things against you because you hold fast that doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them which hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them, those teachers in the church, with the sword of my mouth. You may be seated. I've entitled this Satan's Seat. Satan's Seat. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I pray, Lord God, that you would touch my mouth, that my words should be your words, that I would decrease, you would increase. Have your way. Let me say what you want to be said in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Satan's seat. There's three things I want you to have in your mind as I'm talking this morning. Number one is Jesus is seated. You, Christian, you are seated. And Satan is seated. This is a picture. I had a picture of a great 90-foot altar in Pergamos. And that was a place where the pagans would come around the clock to burn incense uh, to their pagan gods. It was 90 foot. It was a seven wonder of the world. And it was an altar, but not only that. Jesus said it was a seat. He was referring to that edifice, but he was also, I believe, referring to something else because that word seat, when you look in the Greek, says thronos. Thronos. It's a throne. It's a throne, and that's the thought behind that is the chairman of the board, the guy that sits at the head of the table, the head of the house, uh, the guy that uh, runs things, throne So Jesus is saying, I see where that altar is, but I also see Satan seated there calling the shots. You know, when I told, uh, which I consider a church father uh, that I used to, I went, went to his ministry program, that I was planted in Easter, and the first thing came out of his mouth, because he used to work in Inkster with the pastors to support them. He says, no church that he knows of since he's been working there has dramatically, consistently impacted Inkster. And what was he saying? He was saying that Satan has a seat there. He has a seat. He has that thought. I run this. You can't touch this. I'm in control here. Nobody's been ready to uh, able to pull me off my seat. I'm dug in like a tick on a deer's back and nobody yet has been able to pull me down. I listened to a brother not too long ago. He's over in Asia. He preaches in a place where he can't even really declare that he's a missionary. And he says there's about 3 million people and 325 Christians. There's not even one church house. And the last missionary, when he was here, it took him 15 years to get one person saved. That person went home and got murdered by his his family. And what was he saying? He said, Satan has a seat here. Satan has a seat here. Then I heard another brother planning in um, California. He says when Roe versus Wade was overturned, given the states the uh, ability to choose on their own if abortion was going to go in their state, they were kicking the Bible around through human feces right out on the street. He says, I can go a hundred miles. These people don't even know what a church is. I can go a hundred miles and not even see a church. What was he really saying? He's saying Satan has a seat here. 
Satan has a seat here. Satan has a place where the church has not um, reached out to and let God's power as a fragrance touch that area. And he's in control in a lot of areas, a lot of places throughout the world. You even know places where you go to, you just feel there's something drastically wrong here that's because satan is seated there satan is seated there and we quote scriptures for this purpose was the son of god manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil was satan uh defeated yes was he defeated yes so why is there pergamus where satan is seated why is there inkster where satan is seated why are there many places in this world where you almost get rejected just to go out in the street why is it places like that where it seems like the gospel hasn't reached those places satan seated there and we Say scriptures like, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, this is Colossians 2 and 15, he made a public spectacle of them, meaning the powers of darkness, triumphing over them by the cross. This means Satan's second biggest mistake in his whole career, putting Jesus on a cross, a sinless man, stripped all his power away. You see, the soul that sins shall die, Jesus never dies, so spiritually he made the biggest blunder of his life and this scripture literally means that like in a loser's procession of the enemy before the whole powers of darkness was shown that he made the biggest mistake the second biggest mistake of his career and in doing that gave authority gave authority to jesus gave authority to the church and lost it you see when he showed up on the scenes he took it from adam and eve and that's how he got it. So if he's been stripped, how is he still in Inkster? Not only regions, certain issues. Seems like the church has not addressed him yet. Seems like his power hasn't been there yet. Seems like there's a dominating force where it almost says you can't touch this. You can't go there. And I know exactly what they're saying. I know exactly how they feel. Me just going out on the streets of Inkster, it was just a tremendous amount of fear. Even now, when I go to churches and I preach and they, I tell them where I'm got, going and the saints, say, the saints say, you know what, you better be careful. You better be careful. You better be careful. It's just like in my mind, I better be careful. It's fear trying to hit me. Giving out turkeys. And I asked the guy, we got a couple left. Do you know anybody that needs a turkey dinner? Don't go, and he says, don't go down to that complex. They're always shooting down there. What is he saying? Satan has a seat. Satan has a seat. And then we even hear Jesus say, Now is the judgment of this world. Now, this is John 12 and 31, shall the prince of this world be cast out. Well, it doesn't mean Satan's not in the world anymore. It just means his authority to dominate has been cast out. So if it's been cast out, why is he still an inkster? Why is he still in many places throughout this world, in Asia, places where you dare not say that you're a Christian? Why? Now, I think this next scripture talks about it. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. I think it's in the go ye therefore. It's in the go ye therefore. It's almost like when there's laws on the books and not enough policemen to enforce those rules. Not enough policemen to insist, to insist what is law will happen. Jesus is seated. 
Ephesians 1 and 19 and 20 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, speaking of Jesus in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. When Satan lost, Jesus stripped that away and tried to give it and did give it to his church. You are seated, Christian, far above. Listen to this. But God, which is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved, and has raised him up together, us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're even not under Jesus in a sense. The Bible says we're joint heirs. We're sitting like right next to him. That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. To be seated. Yes, we obey him. He's our Lord. But we are seated. We are seated. You know, I thought about, don't even make this the title for this message, Satan is seated. I wanted to make Jesus seated. The church is seated. But I couldn't get away from that title. Because this has been on my heart for about three months. I believe in heaven. The area in this world that gets Jesus' attention is where Satan is seated. Because where Satan is seated is a representation of people who are going to hell. These places are like the kid that never even seen the Bible. Like the kids who never even heard the Ten Commandments. These areas are densely populated with the unsaved. And although there's fantastic things going on and revivals going around in the world, I believe the great physician says, I was called to grab those who are sick. My attention is on those who are going to hell. And I believe he's in heaven and he looks down. And he says, Satan is seated there. He's seated in that issue. He's seated there. He's seated there. He's seated there. I'm going to call my church over. And I believe he says, I'm going to give somebody my burden and I'm going to make them feel what I feel and they're going to feel my call and I'm going to send them there. That's why I believe I had to keep this as the title. Satan is seated. He looks and he sees there's so many issues but I gave my authority to the church. I gave my authority to those who can speak to these enemies. I gave my power and my word to them. They have the power to go. Who will go for me? Who will go for the Powers of heaven who will lay down their life who will put themselves in harm's way sometime and let the captives go free it's like they're holding the prison bars and shaking i like to be free i like to be free i heard this possibility that i could be free and then jesus says i'll send that my burden to stephen let him go to action i'll send my burden to her and to him and all these causes i Given my authority to my church and I'll let them go and insist that the enemy let them go. Satan's seat. Even before Satan di- uh, Jesus died, 
Jesus' name had a lot of power. He sent out the 70 one day. Nothing but evangelistic blitz is what I like to call it. A blitz in in football is when the football players, instead of guarding their man, just everybody rushes forward at one time to take that ball. And that's what that 70 was when he sent them out. He sent them all to this one region. Cast out devils, my love be shown, go into people's homes, preach gospel to the poor, do all you can do, all at one time. And one of them came back, this is in Luke 10, one of them came back and says, Jesus, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And then Jesus said, I've seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I used to think that that meant in the beginning of the world is what it meant. Probably like most of you probably believe. I don't believe that anymore. I believe in the context of that statement. Because just think of it. The Bible says there's three heavens. Paul says, I know a man that was caught up to the third heaven. So there's got to be at least three. And he's seen things that he shouldn't even, it's not even lawful for him to speak. Then there's two more heavens. One of those other heavens is where Satan does his dirty work and planning. And if it meant that, you know, we, I used to think it meant, well, you know, it's like Jesus was saying, Satan's been a loser from the beginning. He might have been a loser in the third heaven. But the heaven that pertains to the governance of sin and hell that happens on this earth. He started off snatching authority. He snatched authority from Adam and Eve and became the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. A few chapters later, the first death happened, a murder where one brother killed another because his deeds were not right. A few chapters after that, the whole world was full of hell. And and the Lord says, every thought that man thinks is always continually evil. Did a divine reset. So when he says, I seen Satan like lightning fall from heaven, I don't think he was like saying he's been a loser from the beginning. But in the context of what he was saying, I believe he was meaning. When you 70 were doing what I told you. When were you going to people's homes and praying for people? I looked up and in that region, I seen Satan lose his seat of authority. That's what I believe it means. No wonder it's a hard thing. I mean, throughout all these decades of me and being saved, it's hard, hard, hard to get churches just to get together and agree on Jesus. We'll, we'll take 70 people and just blitz one area forever. It's always some type of problem. And no wonder that thing that the church used to do would go out and witness uh, every weekend. That thing is for a lot of churches is something that has died also. I believe the enemy knows if they ever get together with that name and has faith in that name they will wreck my kingdom. They will pull me out of my authority. They will pull me out of everything that I have in my fingers. So I'll make sure they never know their authority. They'll never love one another and work together and I'll stay seated. That's what I believe. Then I heard a preacher say, there's nothing in the New Testament that happens that God, you know, because we all have. Why don't God do something about that? Why don't God do something about that? Then he made this statement. There's nowhere in the New Testament where God did anything that 
the church wasn't a part of. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know the scripture. Ephesians 3 and 20, uh, no, not that one. Um, Romans 16 and 20. And I started reading it, I forgot the, the last part of the verse. I said, and the God of peace shall prove Satan. See? Under your feet? We all know that was a prophecy from the garden that he's going to have his head crushed. Jesus did crush his head. Now the crushing, though, is not going to happen when God does something just in itself. It's going to be your feet. Your feet, your hands, your testimony, your sacrifice, your money. Your money, your time, your commitment, your tears. You're going to have to get those feet to step in. And that's what I did. I started stepping in and started going around. And the first kid I seen, this guy, that big and looked scary. I walked right by him. <laughs> A few weeks later, same spot, same kid walking my way. It's like God says, get this right this time. Come to find out he was homeless. I met a couple, two or three homeless people there. I'm sure there's way more. Kicked out of his home, a religious, and there we are with our hands raised right on the street. And I'm trying to cast down and help him the best way I can with spiritual stuff. And then this also puts that scripture in mind. And now unto him that is able, that's Ephesians 3 and 20, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. So that statement, why don't we do something? Why don't Jesus or God do something about it? It's all wrapped up in us. So when we see places where Satan is seated, we're seeing also places where the church has not got to step in. It's like God says, okay, I stripped him. I not only stripped him, I embarrassed him in front of his boys. That the whole world from now on will know. The first blunder was him saying, I will be like the most high and I'll put my, my throne above his throne. That was his first mistake. But I, Jesus, stripped him in front of his boys, took all of his authority, and gave it to the church. And I continually beat him down, in a sense, is what Jesus said. But it's got to be your feet. It's got to be your testimony. It's got to be your money. It's got to be your sleeplessness, sleeplessness sometimes. But, how can we talk about Seats. Without this thought, a seat is not only in a place of authority, but thank God, it's a place of rest and peace. We read these scriptures and talk about them. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty. Come unto me, all ye that are labor, lab, that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, <clears throat> for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. 
For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest man, any man fall under the example of unbelief. The Lord will give strength, as Psalms 29:11, unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Great peace, Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. Isaiah 26 and 3. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And John finally 14 and 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not be afraid. Besides the seat of authority, he's given us all Christians a seat of rest. Thank God. I can remember that Thursday night, March 19, at a revival meeting that I put his yoke upon my neck. I can remember just like yesterday. A yoke in agricultural work is that big old um, apparatus that hooks up two bulls, two cows, and they are so stuck together they have to move together. I can remember, like the scripture is saying, giving up that burden. I bust out crying, didn't even know why. I was sitting there thinking, I am a person that nobody loves. My dad is 10 minutes away and won't come and see me. And I used to think, there's got to be something wrong with me. It really, really did a, a number on me. But then when I sat on that front pew and I heard... That Jesus loved me so much that he allowed people to beat him out of human likeness. They literally, the Bible said, they had to turn their face away from him. To prove that he loved me. Little kid, it's like I felt the shackles and the burdens roll off of me. And as we continually talk about this, that yoke is a yoke that I believe when you give your heart to Christ gets put on you, but it's constantly um, strengthened by learning of him. How many Christians are seated right next to Christ? Matter of fact, why would he even give us a seat? He's trying to say to you in so many scriptural ways, you're up here with me. Far above, like the scripture says that Jesus was far above our principality and powers, far above the devil. And there we are, far above them. Sitting in a seat with authority and losing your rest. I believe Jesus sees Christians. And says, I've given them everything. And they still don't have any peace. I've given them everything. And they don't have any rest. It is the continual taking in of God's word. All those scriptures I read is based on what the word of God was saying. It constantly reaffirms the love of Jesus. 
It constantly reaffirms that I'm not just some old little somebody. You've got authority and you have rest. I was meditating on the scripture in bed this morning. And this thought came to mind. How many world leaders do you know that wanted to be associated with a beast of burden apparatus on their neck? Putin? Trump? Zero! The God that created the heavens. The God who he says um, created all the worlds by the word of his power. The God who spoke and the worlds recreated. Tell them to remember me as the one with the yoke on his neck. I don't mean I don't mind being known as the world, the powerful, powerful God with a yoke of his neck. As long as there's somebody in it with me. I'm meek and lowly. That's what he's saying. I don't care being known as the one that's got a yoke on his neck. Something that animals should wear. As long as some human being knows. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I want to be connected to you. Everything in your life. When your kids go to college and you're an empty nester. When you fail that exam, when you make that exam, when you get that new job, when you lose a job. He said, I'm in that yoke next to you. This is a yoke of relationship. This is a yoke that only can get strengthened as you get into the word. This is a yoke that tells you, you're not just somebody, but you're right next to me. You're seated next to me, and I'm seated next to you with a yoke. Couldn't you be yoked to me? Be yoked to my word. Be yoked to what I'm saying. Be yoked to my report. Be yoked to what I'm saying saying and you will see that your trust will go up 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 if there's something that tells me people hasn't been in the word on the mountaintop today tomorrow so in the valley you haven't believed the report of the lord that's what that scripture says his mind who has stayed on me through the scriptures will have such peace that they will not even be able to shake it. Not be able to shake it. This scripture also says that they are laboring. There's people working hard to try to find this rest. i got to make an announcement to you and to everybody that's listening. You will never have rest outside of Jesus. Never, never. Zero. So you can go ahead, keep on working, 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 working. That's what that scripture says. I don't give peace like the world gives. This is how the world gives. I got the career. I got the girl. I got the bank account. I've got it all. And for some reason, I just don't have rest. He says it's not as I, like the world gives. It's temporary. I got it all. I got it all. But all of a sudden you see billionaires killing themselves. All of a sudden you see those who seem to have it all. All of a sudden they're gone because they didn't know. Peace is only in Jesus. And that's what he's trying to say. The very thing that you're trying to make that rest Work for your life. That thing will be a heavy burden to you. And that's what he was meaning by that scripture. But then he says to the Hebrew Christians. <clears throat> Therefore remaineth a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into rest. He also has ceased 
from his own works. This picture is a picture, and he's talking about the children of Israel who seen mighty miracles every day. A pillar of fire at night guided them, a cloud during the day. Mighty wonders in Egypt, and they still didn't believe. I hear people say, if God were to do this miracle, I believe him. And there was a person that spoke to Abraham and said, let my kinfolk go up and let me go to my kinfolk from the dead and tell them so they won't go to this place. And Abraham said, if they don't listen to the law and the prophet, which is the word of God, they're not going to believe you. I literally have seen this one, my brother-in-law, my used to be brother-in-law, got into a drunken brawl and got stabbed about 15, 18 times by his brother. They're all drunk and stabbing. The doctor comes out, says he's going to be dead in a few hours. So if you got any peace to make with him or whatever, do it now. And my father-in-law urged him to go in, pray, and the man lives. Nothing but a miracle. But he won't serve God. How many people do I see and hear that some miraculous thing that kept them alive and that's still not good enough? Miracle after miracle. Miracle after miracle. Just like these folks. Miracle after miracle. Water coming out of a rock. Uh, people bring uh, Birds sending food and all types of things. And still the heart that says, but I will not believe. If you continue in your ways, you will never ever have long lasting rest. Ever. Ever. So it says, let us labor to enter into that rest. Jesus said, the work that I have is to believe on the one that God sent. That is the work that he's talking about. If you want to really, really work, your faith is what causes that work to happen. The work of faith will get you into God's rest. But it will be constant though. That's why it says learn of me. This morning I was meditating on this scripture and that thought came where I just had a picture. Jesus is in an apparatus for burdens, beasts of burden and it's alright because he, it's okay with him because he knows I'm there with him. It wrecked me this morning. I'm thinking, i got to preach shortly, and I'm getting wrecked right here in my bed. You see, when you continually learn of him, there's thousands and thousands times, ten thousands of little love, uh, what I like to call like love snaps of his goodness and love. That continually reinforces that yoke. But if you're a person that is not of the word, you, that yoke in your, on your neck is going to get looser and looser. Looser and looser. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of God. And I'm thinking, I've been saved all this time. This thought has never, ever occurred to me that the God that created of heavens 
wants to be known as the God that puts a yoke on his neck as long as there's somebody in the next one that's going to love him. He don't care about being known as the, the mighty, powerful God with the yoke. And I'm just so wrecked I can barely stand it. You should be able to do that daily and you will reinforce his mighty, mighty love for you. When I see saints who can't even believe that God loves them enough, it's just a buzzword to say, you haven't been in the Word long enough. And that's why it's all those scriptures I read, there's, the Bible is full of them. If you let the Word constantly go into your mind, you'll see all these doubts, they'll go away. You will begin to think eternally. You will begin to think spiritually and act practically. I want to be insensitive. The worst thing that could ever happen to me, and it ain't that bad, if I were to go out this building, get run over by a train, what's the worst thing that could happen? I'll be with Jesus forever? How many saints are living these terrors in their night and they don't put the word of God in their mind. They are there seated up there with Jesus right next to him, rubbing elbows with him and a yoke on his neck and yours. He's wondering, I've done everything to give you peace and rest. Take hold of it. If you don't take hold of it, you'll be just as like the world. Getting peace out of your mate. Getting peace out of your grandchildren. Getting peace out of a job. Really? You know how many jobs are being there putting locks on doors? You know how many times your kids, your marriage, and all these things go haywire. But still, there's a yoke that's eternal. There's a yoke that will never fail you. It's the one that's on Jesus' neck. And although all these other things are good and blessings from him, they're not the real yoke that sustains your life. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Light, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence his promises and all people and you can watch one of our services that way as well so god bless you i pray god's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week amen